Every world became a garden, and for every garden there was a shepherd, and for all the shepherds, a greater purpose. Open this world to the winding path, light the way where I wish to roam, across the seas of infinity for this weary traveler far from home. This is The Lost Tribe. Welcome back to The Lost Tribe. We begin this week with the first reading of the second book, Sins of the Father. As always, I am the author and your humble narrator, Peter Ivey. If you are enjoying this podcast, please like, share, subscribe, and follow to keep me bringing the story to you. Thank you for listening, and let's begin. Mick's world has been turned on its head once more. After gaining his powers and finding others like himself, Mick continued his quest for answers. Who are the Lost Tribe? Where did they all come from? His search for meaning brought him in contact with a mysterious being called Apostos, who seemed determined to keep the answers from him. Through Apostos, Mick was brought into contact with others like himself. Some joined him in his cause to find meaning and answers. Yet others seemed hell-bent on standing in his way with their own agenda. Thus, Mick learned of the kingdom a group of his people led by a powerful woman named Lethia. While their plans seemed to be about nothing more than destruction and chaos, Mick soon learned that there was a purpose behind the path of devastation courtesy of a powerful oracle in the service of the kingdom. It was then that he realized that he and his companions had become pawns of Apostos, and that Apostos cared little for what happened to Mick and his adopted family. After a terrible injury at the torturous hands of the kingdom, Mick became driven by revelations about his past learned during his captivity, and was driven to finally confront Apostos and get the answers that had remained hidden. In the startling conclusion, Mick fought Apostos, bringing him low with the destructive nature of the truth that Mick had learned. In the aftermath, Mick was spirited away by the man behind the curtain, a powerful entity called Father, who claimed to be the creator of all the worlds and the architect of Mick and his lost tribe. He revealed that he had guided Mick on his path to become his champion against the kingdom. He bequeathed to Mick the power to vanquish forever the darkness inside the kingdom that gave them their power, with the promise that he would forge them all a world of their own in return for Mick's service. However, he also promised that failure on Mick's part would mean the doom of all the worlds if Father had to take on the task himself. Taking on the burden of what he had learned, and the power he had been given, Mick was sent back to rally his friends to take on the kingdom, and save the worlds from destruction. Chapter 1 The boy hung in the stocks, his wrists restrained, his feet barely scraping the dirt as he feebly tried to keep himself from strangling where his neck was shackled. Blood-streaked spittle hung from his ruined lips, but there were no tears in his eyes. He had stopped crying a very long time ago. The tent was dark, lit only by the flickering light of torches from outside the entrance off to his left. The flame reflected off of various metal objects in the room. Several Brass bowls filled with water were set out on one table, and another held a variety of unpleasant-looking sharp instruments that were the tools of the trade in his father's business. His eyelids were very heavy. Soon he would either die in his sleep, or die his eyes wide open. "'Wake up, you little monster!' his father's voice said. He felt his father's strong hand pull his head up by the stalks by the dark locks of his hair, and the fresh pain helped to revive him. His father... Freshly shaven, steely-eyed, portly, and dressed in boiled leather and a red cloak stood in front of him, 
grinning at his discomfort. He cried out and made to bite at his hand. His father withdrew it and struck him across the chin. His lip exploded and more blood joined the glorious river that seeped from his mouth. Whether or not he realized it, his father had taught him to relish such moments. He grinned and a peal of laughter escaped his bloody lips. What is there to laugh at for you, boy? You're mother of a horse in the ditch, and you're moments away from being fed to the dogs. What are you laughing at? A man with a very small cock, he replied. Or at least she always said. The blow came square against his nose, detonating it like a ripe tomato across his face. At least I won't be conscious enough to feel myself being ripped apart. Don't you pass out on me yet, you foul little freak, his father growled. He whistled and one of the men dragged in one of the hounds from the kennel. The boy's eyes widened. It was too cruel. From the look on your pretty face, I know that you recognize this beast, his father said, taking the hound and stroking him under the chin. The boy said nothing and glared at his tormentor. Well, speak up. What do you call this mongrel? The boy said nothing. You will tell me his name if you love him, boy. He pulled a knife from underneath his cloak. Or I'll slit his goddamn throat. His name is Falkia, the boy spat. You love him? He knew he was beaten. It was best just to play out the game. He would not give up his tears. He would not. Yes. Then let me show you what I love, his father said. He slit the hound's throat in one deft and terrible motion, and the beast collapsed to the floor, its eyes rolling feebly as if trying to reason out its death. Falkir! the boy cried. His father laughed and kicked the dog's corpse. Falkir! the man in the stocks mused. The stocks disappeared. In the boy's place a man stood. The boy that he once was was vanished, long dead and buried. This was no mere memory. What transpired here? Another apostle's tricks, perhaps? Falkir pulled his favorite dagger from its sheath at his side and put it to the throat of his father's shade. He had been his first prey, and it brought joy to his heart to see him under the knife again. Then his father smiled a gaping grin, and his face began to melt. Falkir let go of him and watched his entire body dissolve and begin to reform. A trick, indeed. I know, I know. <laughs> you were probably expecting a burning bush, right? He moved back, giving himself room to move and attack if need be. The figure was dressed very much like Falker's comrade, Jack. He was dressed in a black suit without a tie, and he had slicked back hair and was clean-shaven. His eyes were black as well. The irises were huge. His gaze followed Falkir as he paced around. He flicked and spun the dagger around, seeing if it pulled the gaze of the stranger to it instead. It did not. You're in my head imitating a man that I despised when I was alive, and whose memory I defecate upon since I sent him to molder in the earth. Who are you? What do you want? The man walked over and picked up one of the curved blades from the table, casually, and examined it. Oh, the name's Manon, he said, his voice low and sonorous. I do love it here, <laughs> among the detritus of your psyche. You have such promise, Falkir. Love and loyalty turn to betrayal, murder, and even cannibalism. I commend you your appetite. You think you know me? In a way, I know all of you. Or at least I know what's in your hearts. That's a bold statement for someone I've never met or heard of. That's true. I haven't been around for a very long time. 
before your time, anyway. What do you want with me? Menon turned to him, putting the blade down on the table. I need you, Falkir. You and the rest of the kingdom. I have questions that need answering. You would ask me to betray my comrades to you. And for what? Some boon. As far as I know, you're just a dream. A bad one at that. Oh, I assure you, I am very real. So is this offer. Let me come to you now and lead me to your friends, or I will hunt down all of you. If you force me to hound you, I won't be so kind when we meet. You have greatness within you, Falkir. You have no idea. We have a lot in common. I thought you might relate to someone who has also been betrayed. You are mistaken. Falkir spun the dagger in his hand and threw it at Manon's heart. He held up his hand in time, and the dagger skewered it. He looked at his hand, fascinated, as a black, viscous substance spilled out and dripped to the earth. He pulled out the dagger, he flexed his wounded hand, and the bones creaked. Will that do for my answer? Oh, I'll remember this. And sometime soon when I find you and flay the soul of the stupid beast that drove you to your unwise and unkind response, you will reflect in agony on your error. Make no mistake, I will find you. Falkir chuckled as the image disappeared. He walked over to the pool of ichor that was left in the dirt and wiped some up with his finger. If you knew anything, you should have known better than that. He tasted the ichor on his tongue, and the bitterness of it caused him to choke. He cleared his throat and knelt down to where the dog lay. Good times, old friend, he slapped the corpse. Good times. The remnants of the dream crumbled, and Falkir awoke. The castle stone was cold beneath his flesh, even under the bundle of furs he used as a bed. Dim morning light illuminated the room from the small open window above him. Across from him, the embers of the fire still smoked in the fireplace, doing little to provide warmth in this small room. The dampness of the fortress in Trelane was constant. He loathed sleeping indoors, but he would not leave flesh unproductive. Dogs are loyal, are they not? He had stayed at her side for the last two weeks since the bastard Mick had strangled her. Since then, she had not awoken, but lay in some sort of coma. She was in a cot a few feet away, her breath, as always, steady, but she would not wake up. Falkir rose up from his place on the stones and walked over to her. The marks from where Mick had strangled her were still there, livid. White marks stood out on her dark skin, a reminder of how dangerous he had become. It was not natural, whatever he did. He watched as Mick had let her drop to the table and recognized the look in his eyes. Mick had become much like him in that moment. Cold, distant, and murderous. He had renounced Falkir on that hill not long ago and left him for dead. If it was not for flesh, he would still be there, frozen on the ice floe where that great cold river had emptied him out. It delighted him to think that Mick's heart had turned dark as well. His righteousness burned away in that single act of intended murder. Although she was not dead, she might as well be. Falkir turned around to see if the door to the room was shut. It was. So he turned back to where flesh lay below him. He pulled back her robe to reveal her naked body underneath, and began the daily ritual that had started before she had fallen into the sleep that could not be sleep. Her sex did not interest him. The dogs had taken care of that, too, so long ago. Flesh's gift to him stirred in his body in a different way, and he felt his canine teeth lengthen. He knelt down and used one sharp tooth to pierce the wound that had served his feeding so well. He sat down, he bit down, and felt the salty tang of her blood splash into his mouth. It is so lonely without you, he said between suckling mouthfuls. 
Tears, the last refuge of a long-go broken and damned man, so buried in the past before he truly became himself, spilled down his ruined cheeks to wet her thighs. He stopped feeding, and tried to choke back the bitterness he felt. He stood, dressed her wound, and restored her dignity. He wiped his mouth and bent low to kiss her. Flesh's face had been destroyed on one side the day she was reborn. It was always on the ruined side of her face that he kissed her, for he knew that it was her distortion that had given him his life again. He will die by my hand, he caressed her face. I swear it to you. Chapter 2 I shivered in the cold as I appeared again in Taroge. Everything I beheld was in stark relief. The dark shadows of the trees flush against the eternal white of winter. Snowflakes flew through the air. It was night here. I pulled my coat closed and looked around. More time had passed here than I had thought. The campfire was cold and our bedrolls were gone. Casey was gone. The others had departed as well, or so it seemed. I needed to find them all now. The snow blew around me, and I summoned up a fur cloak to keep the cold out. I decided to make my way to the village. Perhaps my friends, or so I hope they still were, had traveled there to seek shelter. As I moved along the trail that wound its way through the forest towards the Taroshi village that I had come to know so well, I mulled over my meeting with Father. I didn't know if I could trust him, which seemed to be a strange thought to have about what seemed to be the creator of all things. Considering my situation, though, I didn't have much choice. I had been wandering the worlds in order to get some answers about myself and my people to connect with them and find a place to belong to. Now I had those answers. I had gone through hell and paid a heavy price, but it would be worth it if Father made good on the deal. A world of our own. A home. I wondered, looking at my corrupted hand, if I would ever see that home. So far my path had led me on a merry journey of conflict, genocide, and painful revelation, and I knew in my heart that the worst was still yet to come. The vision that kept me going was of me on a house on a farm, far from the seas and storms, living out eternity in peace with Casey, if she would have me again. Doubt besieged me, calling me a fool and a liar. I pushed it aside. My vision was a small piece of hope, but I had to hang on to something. I had to. The snow crunched under my feet, and the wind howled at my back, pushing me onward. I could see lights in the distance, but they were too close to be the village, which was easily another few kilometers away. I had come too far to be less than cautious at this point, so I drew my sword. I moved off the trail and made my way through the trees towards the source of the lights. It was strange, because they appeared to be up in the trees. I could see very little through the snow. I knelt down and grabbed a handful of snow, putting it in my mouth so that no one would see my breath. I crept up slowly to the lights. I was close to them now, and my heart leapt. I could see ropes tethered to the trees, and they led me up to a ship that hung in the air. Lanterns hung along the side of the hall. It was Henry's ship. I should have guessed that he had brought it along when they had come to me in the camp. A small campfire lingered near where it was tethered. I couldn't see anyone there, or on the deck up above, but I was at a disadvantage from where I was on the ground. They must have decided to sleep in the airship. I couldn't blame them. It was a miserable night. I moved closer to the ship and called up to see if anyone was on board. Casey poked her head up from above me on the deck. Hey, Mick. I felt the sting of tears in my eyes. I bit my lip looking up at her from below. It's so good to see you. She looked away from me. What's wrong? It was then that I felt a strong hand wrap around me from behind and a ghostly sword poked from between my ribs. I struggled. There was a familiar click. I looked up to see that Casey had one of her guns drawn and was pointed at me. 
Mick, don't move, honey. Either Otomo is going to screw you, or I'll shoot you before you can take our weapons away. What the hell is all this? I watched as Henry joined Casey on the deck, the familiar form of Dacoum looming above him as they looked down at me. It's uh, all about trust, Mick, uh, and right now we've got to run pretty low. There's no need for this. Casey? She said nothing and kept a tight beat on me. <laughs> Says you. <laughs> Takum? Takum stepped forward. His eyes were narrowed and I could feel the power moving in him. I knew what was coming. It would be better than getting impaled, but only slightly. He raised one hand, curled it into a fist, and swung around in a backhand motion. The blow hit me like a cannonball, and I felt the world tilt very suddenly as I fell into the snow. Consciousness fled from me as I felt myself being dragged along the snowy ground. Once again, thank you all for listening and tuning in to The Lost Tribe, Sins of the Father. Join me next week when the story continues, and remember to follow this podcast and share it to keep that story going.